Welcome to the Liberty Experts Podcast, where all your liberty questions are answered, discussed, and debated by experts. Now, here are your liberty experts, Tim Moen and David Birnbaum. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Hey, Dave. It's going good. I don't know. I'm feeling a little depressed right now, feeling about, uh, feeling like, feeling like just ending it all. You know, this whole COVID thing has got me down. And now, luckily, this seems like it's getting a lot easier. I mean, uh, the Trudeau government has just passed some legislation or is about to that expands medical assisted dying for, for patients here. So I can probably go to a doctor now and just say, hey, doc, uh, give me a lethal injection because I'm done with this COVID nuttiness. So that's good news, right? Well, so for anyone watching who is actually having any sorts of dark thoughts, please do oh, shit. don't listen to Tim. Um, yeah. But uh, so Tim very clearly wants to talk about something in particular. Uh, we're going to talk about this medically assisted dying, I suppose, legislation, but also perhaps uh, more broadly, uh, the role it plays in in our life, something like that. Tell me about Yeah, what well... I, I, I posted an article. Other than uh, sunshines and rainbows. Yeah, yeah. I, I posted an article uh, not too long ago about how government is expanding its uh, MAID program, medical assistance in dying program. Um, and, you know, the, the article basically pointed out how you, you can now, or will be able to get m- medical assistance in dying for um, almost anything now. Um, I'm not sure how much truth there is to that. Uh but it, it does cause me some concern that they're expanding this. And it's not because I, I don't think people should have the right to end their life or the right to get help uh, in ending their life. Uh, I certainly support that as a libertarian, you know, and, and it might even be rational in some cases when, you know, you, you're, um, you have a, a disease that's incurable and you're suffering greatly. I mean, ending of suffering might make sense. I mean, why prolong suffering if you can you can take care of it and, and kind of go humanely with under medical supervision? However, I have serious reservations about the state uh, providing this program. And, um, you know, I think there's all sorts of room for... Um, uh, corruption here and and danger and uh, a slippery slope if we're not careful and so I'm, I'm seriously concerned about the expansion of this type of program um and we can get what into why but corruption and slippery slope do you think well let me give you an example like termination of a population <laughs> no like- not well i mean look if i were a conspiracy guy i might say something like that and i could see how a conspiracy person might say well this, this is their agenda to depopulate and and you know they're they're making it easier for that to happen uh, you know i don't think it's like that but i i do think that the the kind of value we have on life is being eroded here when we start expanding programs like this and and i mean it, it's already eroded because of state-run healthcare, and this is just another way it is and, and so let me explain to people why because i got a lot of pushback on this from other libertarians say well obviously people should have the right to die you know healthcare is is being done by the state so i mean that that's their only option if they're they want to get medical assistance right now you know it's kind of the marriage equality argument we had as libertarians it's like well we don't think the state should be involved in marriage at all but as long as it is they can't prohibit people to to consenting adults like two men from getting married um that that isn't fair right um 
but so, so, but let me explain what happened. So in my job as a paramedic, I see people all the time who are older people, seniors, they live in seniors lodges or whatever. They're kind of in the twilight of their life. And all these people have something called a green sleeve or goals of care designation. And this is a form we're all trained to look for whenever we go to pick up an older person, a senior citizen. And it is a doctor's order that outlines the different levels of care that this person should receive. And so, for example, an R1 would mean full resuscitation that you or I would get if we were to go into cardiac arrest or become incapacitated. We want everything done. Invasive, put a breathing tube in, do CPR, decompress my chest, do whatever it takes to try to keep me alive. Um, and it goes all the way to don't even transport me uh, to don't don't even transport this patient to the hospital, you know, just provide, you know, a little bit of pain relief or something like that. So and then there's all these gradations in between of what they are. Now, um, I go to patients all the time and they and I look at their goals of care and I talk to them about it and said, you know what this means? And they have no idea what it means. They have no idea that that a doctor has ordered a lower level of care for them Um now these are supposed to be done in coordination with the patient. They, they you know, the doctor's supposed to sit down with the patient, explain to them exactly what the different levels mean. It's supposed to be the patient's goals of care, what they want, right? And it's a very good idea in theory, but in practice, in this in the state public health system, something very different emerges, which is essentially a tool for doctors to build a state and for healthcare workers to get out of doing a lot of work. And so, um, you know, if, if people, if, if, if people that require intensive care or higher level of care, that's a lot of work for healthcare workers in nursing homes and seniors lodges and, and physicians. And, and, you know, there's no benefit in it for the healthcare workers, just more work. And so what you do is a healthcare workers kind of justify while this person's old, they, they wouldn't want this anyways. I'm going to encourage them to like sign off on an M1, which means we're not going to go go crazy trying to keep you alive or, or, you know, cure you or anything like that. Um, and, and doctors who, you know, in, in this system, they, if they spend more than seven minutes with a patient, they are starting to lose money, right? Um, they, they have a certain amount they can bill uh, for each patient. And the more patients they see, the more money they make. And so that's not in their their interest to spend an hour um, with a patient going through and explaining everything and, and doing a, a huge thorough thing and talking about all their health problems and talk about their lifestyle and diet choices and all these other things for, for their health. I mean, this they can't bill extra for that in other places like in California, you can pay for concierge service where a doctor will come to your home or come to the ER, your family doctor will drop what he's doing and, and prioritize you. That would never happen in Alberta because, you know, we have this public health system. So all these incentives are skewed to to make sure, first of all, that these green sleeves are filled out, which are doctor's orders because the doctor can bill for this. They can bill an extra $18 a visit just for filling out that form. Um, and and then those forms, you know, are quite often done in coordination with the nursing home nurses who don't want all this in, 
extra work. I mean, they're they're overwhelmed as it is. So you can see where their their incentives become skewed to encourage this. Now, in now this is even further complicated because in Alberta we have something called the Personal Directives Act, and the Personal Directives Act is is a nice piece of legislation. It says basically I can write out what exactly I want done in the the event I'm incapacitated, and healthcare workers are obligated to follow that. Okay, so we already have a piece of legislation that covers exactly what and and these orders from a doctor fall outside the personal directives legislation it's not even clear to me that these things are legal documents uh they're just a doctor's order and a doctor shouldn't be able to order what is the right level of health care for me um you know if i if i don't want it so all the incentives are, are are taking this good idea and skewing it in a terrible direction where people don't understand the health care they're they're can they're is being ordered things aren't they're getting railroaded into things they didn't agree with so let's bring this now over to made and um you know i'll just talk from personal experience when as my mom was um having some serious health issues and kind of at the end of her life we're, we're trying all these things to to save her life she was having kind of last ditch surgery and things weren't you know, and, and she just wasn't getting better. And she required a lot of intensive care. Like she, she was in a lot of pain and, and that needed to be managed. And, and, you know, she needed like round the clock nursing care and people there to move her and reposition her and, and provide her uh, pain medication. And one of the nurses on her ward came up to us and, and suggested that we consider made right and she put it in very glowing terms like it'll end her suffering and and things will get much better and this and that now my mom has deeply held religious beliefs where suicide is not an option but the way this nurse made it sound it, it almost became an option for her um as something she she wanted to try what we really wanted was pain relief for mom but the nurses are overwhelmed in our public system we couldn't pay for extra uh, nursing care in the public hospital. And so, you know, she ended up suffering needlessly because she couldn't get the pain medication when she needed it. Uh, she couldn't get repositioned when she needed it, all these things, um, she wasn't getting right. And, and so, so what I'm concerned about with made is that, that people will get railroaded into just end my suffering with, with a lethal injection rather than, um, do all the work necessary to relieve my suffering um, and, and prolong my life um, for these last few months or something like that. So that's a much better argument than I expected <laughs> um, because, you know, it does bring to mind, I heard about a story in Ontario of like someone who captured on camera or something, the doctor or nurse, like really encouraging them to end their life even right. when they made it clear they did not want to do that. Yeah. And it was very much, there's this incentive structure where it's all the same to them. And I think, especially in, you know, we've talked often about how many people are just kind of automatons. And so you have someone who's just, oh, this is one of the six options now. It seems this one applies without really being the human element of it and, and understanding the person in front of them. So I do right. think this, like, there is a risk there, though I have to kind of push back because, you know, the whole point of the state is to protect individual rights. And so, you know, I could I could see a system where 
the same way you could hire a security guard. And if they just kill someone, that then has to go to court. Like you could have you could make the argument that in a private healthcare system, like, you know, made could be privatized. And just if there's an abuse, you charge that person with murder and you build in a structure such that that doesn't happen. But like, so I'm torn. I've not thought about this much because my initial reaction was, yeah, no, the um, my initial reaction was, well, no, government does have this kind of monopoly on force and, you know, a lethal injection is a, is an execution of force, let's say, right? But mm-hmm. that being said, you can have pri- private security systems. There are other uses of force that, like, would be taken to the court. So I think it's it's an interesting issue. But I think you made a lot of really good points, and and you've succeeded in making me, yeah, like, let's say, scared and skeptical of giving this power to the existing system. But that being said, people should have the right to end their life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? And and look, but, you know, if, if, if I had, had, yeah, go ahead, sir. One last caveat is like, I think this is really scary when it comes to the realm of mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think I heard somewhere in, in uh, the Netherlands or something, um, I don't know, somewhere in Europe, they were like, oh, this person, you know, some psychologist or two psychologists have said this guy is so depressed, he'll never get out of his depression. He, Like, we're going to let him kill himself. And it's like, okay, someone who wants to rationally decide to kill themselves has the right to do that. But when someone is in mental health crisis, when someone is in these situations, it's a very difficult thing. Yes. And I think there should be a high burden of proof almost, right? But that becomes a really difficult situation. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think when you add that into this kind of just mechanism of the healthcare system that doesn't even deal with mental health properly, then that's like, if I don't know if that's covered by made, right. if someone's just depressed and then they get, you know, a syringe. Well, I, I would imagine that there would be a number of, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not overly worried about it initially, right? Like, you know, socialized medicine worked quite well when it first started. And that was because the people were coming out of a, a market culture where they traded eggs for services, or they did a bunch of pro bono work. They had a high degree of high work ethic and they brought that work ethic with them into the kind of socialized. So it, it's taken years to get where we're at in socialized medicine. And and so, you know, I'm not worried about it initially. I'm worried about it, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road of what it's going to look like. Um, and, and, you know, it's it, again, I'm not necessarily opposed to this program. I mean, if we have this government pro, you know, government run healthcare, if there's nothing we can do about it, we kind of have to let people access made. I just have a lot of reservations and concerns about it. And I'm making predictions about it right now that it's going to railroad a bunch of people into needless deaths, as opposed to doing the intensive work, um, to care for them. And, uh, you know, yeah, I was, I had another point as well. well. I think it's really important to emphasize that many people, I don't think people as such, but many people do just sort of react to the incentives they're given because they don't think and they're in a system, turn off their brain. And so if there is an incentive, you're like, you captured the point really well. It's a lot easier, you know, this maybe if this patient's, uh, if they, if they have a lethal injection, I get paid X. Versus if they were here, I'd spend 10 days on them. I can't file as many patients through Mm -hmm. big morgue fees. I'm going to have kickbacks from the. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, you know, your point about um, uh, mental health is well taken. And I mean, people at the end of their life are always under 
essentially in a mental health crisis. I mean, dying is tough. It's uh, tough on family. It's tough on the patient. They're suffering. And, you know, in a proper healthcare system, there are ways to alleviate that suffering and ease the burden and, and help the patient spend some last quality time with their family and peacefully pass. Um, you know, and so to immediately jump to, well, we can end your suffering right now with this syringe is a, a little bit, uh, a little bit much for me. And, and I think that, um, you know, in a mar- in a proper marketplace where people are responsible for their actions, there would be huge liability on a made provider that they aren't just willy nilly killing every patient that comes in, right? Because if there was a wrongful death. In other words, if someone came in with a mental illness, they didn't. It turns out the patient did, lacked capacity in some way to to make their own decisions, um, and they were killed. Uh, well, th- there would be huge liability. So there would be a bunch of safeguards in place um, to to avoid that kind of liability. There would be multiple exams by different psychologists or mental health experts potentially, and and different processes, right? And and that would be in place right now in Canada as well. Like no doctor. I know is going to give someone a lethal injection if they haven't had proper counseling or or if their prognosis isn't grim. It's just that, you know, as a doctor, I'm sitting there consulting with a patient and the patient's like, oh, doc, I'm suffering terribly. You know, my incurable disease is, I know I've only got like maybe six months to live, but this, this suffering, I just can't deal with it anymore. What are my options? And the doctor's going to say, well, um, you know, and he, he'll have just come from a conversation at the nursing desk, by the way, where all the nurses are are saying, look, Mrs. Jones doesn't have a lot of time to live. She's suffering terribly. She's so much work. I mean, is there any point in continuing this? Can you kind of encourage her to accept the maid thing? So that's going to be coloring the, the physician's view as he comes into that room. And and he's going to say, well, you know, there's not a lot we can more we can do. We're already have orders for pain control. You know, the, the, the state, by the way, has clamped down on opiate prescription because of the opioid crisis, because that top-down approach works so well. Um, and, and this has happened, right? Physicians are have their license threatened for over-prescription of opioids already. So there's all these pressures moving, like making it difficult to provide that patient the kind of suffering relief that they would actually probably prefer over the next six months that would keep them comfortable and just and all sorts of incentive to to push them or encourage them towards the maid thing and they're in a state of suffering they're in a mental health crisis and in some ways they lack capacity because all they can think about is i need the suffering to end i need the suffering to end and the doctor is is giving them that option and here it is in the syringe right and of course they're gonna want to take that option so um many people would push back though because you seem to be character characterizing these nurses and potentially the doctors as like these sort of half evil people who just want to like right. clean up the mess and get these bodies out, right? Like yeah, yeah. No, and, and I, I don't want to give that impression at all. I mean, you know, these are all very compassionate people. They they're healthcare workers. They they signed up to help people, right? But there are pressures on the job. Like if you are a nurse dealing with a workload that you can't, you can barely manage. Okay. Um, like, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed and and you see Mrs. Jones suffering and you know you don't have the resources to to manage her suffering? Okay, it, it's rational and compassionate actually for a nurse to maybe suggest maid because she knows she can't 
properly deal with that person's suffering. So it's the system here is the problem, not the nurse who is thinking compassionately about it. Um, You know, they just, they just don't have the resources um, to, to deal with this stuff. And, and right now, you know, my wife's a nurse and okay. And, and, and they are implementing this new computer program in Alberta called connect care. And it's dramatically increasing the workload on these nurses who have that now their job. And I've said this numerous times as a healthcare provider, my job is to produce paperwork for the government. It's not, has nothing to do with patient care. Patients get in the way of me doing my job, which is doing check marks and and ticky boxes and collecting data for the government. I spend way more time on that paper than I do talking to the patient and, and delivering care to that patient. Um, And, and this connect care thing that they just brought into Alberta, it's that on steroids, it's like just checky tick boxes and checky boxes. It used to be like your nursing notes were kind of a narrative of what you did and it was personalized. Well, that's all gone now. It's all computerized. It's all centralized. So, these nurses are are being overwhelmed right now with all the th- hoops they have to jump through for the government, and that takes detracts from the personal care. So when when I say that you know they don't have the resources, I mean they don't have the resources. They, they only have so much time in their shift where they can be with a patient, and of course free healthcare. Everyone with a stuck fart is coming to see them, and so their attention is between all these people that have legitimate suffering and all these people who have stuck farts because of free healthcare and you know, what's a compassionate person to do in that situation? I mean, but what they're doing is not evil. It's, it's compassionate and rational given the the situation um, and the system that we find ourselves in. And there's one more thing I wanted to add here that adds another little wrench to it that I've thought about is um, uh, uh, default opt-in organ donation. Um, There are a lot of provinces going to this now where if you unless you say otherwise you you become a universal organ donor and this makes a lot of sense in some ways but again we have to worry about um the state having a default ownership on your on your goddamn organs right and and what kind of incentives are going to be skewed i mean if you if you follow me so far about how these green sleeves and goals of care kind of all the incentives are skewed the wrong way given the system and made the incentives are skewed the wrong way given the system then you have to understand that uh, organ donation is skewed a certain way. So you, you add three of those things together, goals of care, medical assistance and dying and organ donation. And you think about the little boy suffering down the hallway as a nurse who needs a, a kidney or something. And then you have this person here who is suffering um, and, you know, goals of care are really low um and and so we're not going to do intensive stuff it doesn't take a lot to see how you might encourage people to don't you know i'm going to a dystopian place right here but i think there's some some legitimacy here to my concern over all three of these policies altogether yeah that doesn't seem uh like a logical leap to me that seems to very much be an integration of you know the state ownership of my body right Right. Um, and and the idea that uh, you know effective altruism, I should like I could save so many people with my organs. Mm-hmm. If I only have three months left in my life, you know I should definitely like make sure that I preserve my organs and give them sooner. Like this is a mentality that uh, people have, right? So it's um, no, it's definitely an interesting line of thought. I'm gonna have to put more thought into 
how I think, you know, something like made would be done, but I think you've made a lot of really good points. And I do still think, you know, my, my initial, my, my thinking right now is that, yeah. no, there would be a way for it to be handled properly, privately. Right. Um, right. And, and I, I think in a proper free market system, you would have more options for, for relief of suffering. Right. And you would select the one that means the most to you. And, and there would be healthcare workers that are really good at palliative care that will do all sorts of intensive care with you to make sure your last six months on earth are pain-free and, and you can spend it with your family. Like some people can still afford that, right? But it's just right. very costly. And yep. because people are paying so much into healthcare normally and they don't get much from it they don't have that fund they don't have those funds for when they actually need them because they're already paying 15 yeah. 20,000 in health oh yeah costs. Well, well i mean this just shows you how interconnected everything is right because when now we have the central banks playing a part here and the fact that they print all this money and punish saving and and encourage spending and and debt uh we now don't have the money to save up for a rainy day even if we had that system so so you know uh, our healthcare is skewed all sorts of different ways and of course rich people would be able to prolong their life more than middle class or poor people would because they could buy millions of dollars worth of of um, experimental and cutting edge innovation to to extend their life and and you know and and that would seem dramatically unfair to the rest of us who uh, don't have that option who maybe have to have to consider made instead of um, you know spending our kids inheritance on you know uh, prolonging our life uh, an extra two months or something like that but the point of the free market is that over time, this technology disseminates, it becomes cheaper and cheaper as competitors pop up. And pretty soon, everyone can afford it. And under the current system, medicine gets more expensive and more scarce. And that's exactly the thing I'm concerned about with Maine is that the resources are scarce and getting scarcer. Like, you know, we talked in the previous podcast about how Alberta has the second highest per capita spending on health in the province. Our outcomes are uh, in the middle of the pack or, or low in some cases. And they want to add more spending to it. And they're concerned about costs that, you know, our resources are scarce. There's not enough health care to go around. And um, and so things like MAID become far more attractive in that environment than they do in an environment where there's more innovation popping up and more, uh, you know, healthcare abundance occurring and more competition and everything's getting cheaper and more abundant. And so, you know, if you agree with me that the market provides more abundance uh, and and cheaper products, then you have to apply that same rationale to, to medicine, to healthcare. I, I mean, the laws of economics are not suspended when it comes to that. They apply to food and healthcare equally. Cool. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, David.